What companies deserve your hard-earned dollar? Which would you want to work for? How can you know if they share your values? Just ask us. Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks who really means business in supporting workers, customers, communities, the environment, and shareholders. We measure progress, track success, and help them be better. When you see the Just Capital seal, you know what's real because just business is better business. Visit justcapital.com to learn who makes your dollar count. This is Wilmington's Morning News with Nick Craig. When I'm in the car, I'm always listening. This is Wilmington's Morning News with Nick Craig on 107.9 and 980 The Wave. Monday morning, March the 13th, 2023. Thanks for spending some time with us here on Wilmington's Morning News. You can be part of the program this morning by, as always, by texting or calling in. That phone number is 910-763-4000. That's 910-763-4000 on what is a... uh, a very busy Monday edition of Wilmington's Morning News. We've got a lot of fluid stuff going on, of course. Uh, the big news of the weekend, actually a national story surrounding the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank, SVB. All eyes are on the economy and Wall Street this morning, just after 9.30 when the markets open, as uh, everybody is kind of uh, holding and waiting with bated breath as they try and figure out exactly uh, what the landscape is going to look like a little bit later on this morning. We'll get to some of those details here in just a few minutes. Let's get it kicked off with some local news and an update on our big breaking story Friday morning surrounding a man that decided to drive his car into the Wilmington International Airport. It happened Thursday night, just after 7 o'clock. Seemingly, everybody was minding their own business when an individual decided that he was not only going to drive his car onto the tarmac of the airport, crashing through a gate, To do that, he then turned his sight on the recently renovated Wilmington International Airport itself and drove his car literally right through the front door. And he is now in jail. His name has been released. His name is Trey Dvorak, and he was arrested in relation to the incident. His charges surround assault, or his uh, charges include, I should say, Assault with a deadly weapon on a government official. He did uh, injure a TSA agent, so that's where that charge comes from. Speeding to elude arrest. Trespassing on airport property. uh, property, Disorderly conduct and resist obstruct delay of a government official. Uh, That's likely to do when they were trying to arrest him, uh, and he uh, was likely not... um, was likely not very happy about the uh, situation going on there. According to a representative with the New Hanover County's Sheriff's Office, this is a direct quote. I'm not a doctor, so I can't tell you what his issues are, but he was telling us that the devil made him do it. This is a direct quote from the Sheriff's Department. The devil made him do it, and he was just talking out of his brain talking there out of his mind so 
The uh, individual crashing his car into the airport apparently did it because of the devil. At least that's according to the New Hanover County Sheriff's Office. He made his first appearance in court on Friday, as you can imagine, where the judge increased his bond from $50,000 to $75,000. It also came out during that appearance that uh, Trey Anthony Dvorak here was on pretrial release for another offense and that a woman was barely able to get her three-year-old child out of the way of the car, which brings forward the question, why is this guy not being held under either a higher bail or no bail at all? He had a pretrial release for a separate offense. He's running around telling the sheriff's department that the, sh- that the devil is co- causing him to drive his car through buildings this guy's a loose cannon. What stops him from, or somebody in his family from scrapping up a couple grand to get a bail, to get you know, bail bondsman squared away on this guy and him going out and killing somebody? I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to be dramatic about it, but you've obviously got a very mentally unstable, unstable individual that's talking about the devil. Dvorak says he has three kids, two of which were hurt really bad, and he cited that as the why he's been, quote, Acting out, he also said that he was running from someone. So he was being chased, apparently, uh, at the airport. Somebody was chasing him on the tarmac and then chasing him through the airport, apparently. Seems like a, a pretty likely story. It's his next court date is scheduled here for March the 30th. That's a couple Thursdays from right now. ILM Airport Director Jeffrey Burke releasing a statement Friday afternoon saying, I want to thank the New Hanover County Sheriff's Office and other law enforcement agencies, airport staff, and our airport partners that acted quickly and effectively last night. I'm very proud of our team, and I also want to thank Monolith Construction, who responded quickly overnight to make temporary repairs to the fence line and the front of the terminal so that normal operations could resume, which they, in fact, did do Monday morning, or excuse me, Friday morning. Things were pretty much uh, uh, up to normal besides you know, part of the front glass there being beaten in. Uh, I, Jeff Burke, the airport director, continuing by saying ILM has, ILM has been and continues to be fully in compliance with TSA security requirements, and the airport is open and fully, function, uh, fully uh, functional. WECT asked Jeff Burke for an interview, uh, and in regards to there was some there was some questions surrounding, um, you know, questions about. Airport fence and, uh, you know, everything else that's going on there. And TSA and Jeffrey Burke both, uh, you know, waiting for more details to come out on that. But a pretty bizarre situation happening locally. Um, We are, of course, now finding out more details about the individual. Uh, Apparently the devil himself is uh, what made uh, Trey Anthony Dvorak uh, Dovarek uh, decide to drive his car through the front of the Wilmington International Airport. We'll uh, let you know if there's any new details that come out in the next couple of days uh, after he made his first appearance in court last week. Well, some unbelievably sad news coming out of Wilmington this morning. It was actually released Friday night that a Laney High School student that has been battling cancer, just 18 years old, is dead. That student, Darnell McLeod, and he died, his name, a nickname known as DJ, and he died after a long battle with cancer. An email sent out by Laney High School Friday afternoon reads in part, DJ was such a fighter and we will forever admire his strength and positivity. 
He had such an impact on our Bucktown family and the entire community. Counselors and social workers will be available on Monday in the media center to attend to any staff or students that need support. Please reach out to your child's counselor if you'd like a member of our team to meet with your child. The school will host a walkathon fundraiser to help ease the financial strain on the family. That is scheduled for March the 25th. That's not this coming Saturday, but the Saturday after. And um, we'll put some details up on social media about that. Lower Cape Fear Life Care, who provided care for DJ, sent out the following notice as well, saying, our hearts, our, our hearts, hearts, thoughts, and prayers are with his family at this time. It was our privilege and honor to be trusted to provide care and support to DJ and his family. His care team members were touched by the spirit of this amazing young man, again, just 18 years old. We are glad we were able to make his bucket list wish a reality last weekend with the help of so many people. That was that um, car show, that exotic car show that they did. What an unbelievably sad situation. An 18-year-old, a uh, student athlete playing over at Laney High School, having diagnosed with terminal cancer uh, some time ago, succumbing to that over the uh, weekend Friday to um, for, for Darnell McLeod, the, he, the student over at Laney High School. What an unbelievably sad situation. We'll throw some details about this fundraiser that's coming up in a few weeks from now up on our 107.9 and 980 The Wave social media channels. Of course, the uh, all of southeastern North Carolina thinking of uh, DJ this morning. Really, really sad story there. In some other news across the area this morning, a man charged in the 2020 murder of a UNCW student by the name of Chris Stewart has been found guilty by a jury of his peers. On Friday, it was a Pender County jury that found Raymond Lee Brooks Jr. guilty of first-degree murder, robbery with a dangerous weapon, and conspiracy to commit an armed felony. According to District Attorney Ben David, he said, this is the only appropriate verdict, and we thank the jury for its service. Mr. Brooks should never be released from prison for his heinous crime. Stewart, who at the time was a 23-year-old college junior and an Army veteran, was found brutally murdered at Miller's Pond Park up in Pender County. This in late March of 2020. So uh, looking at the date on it, you're talking about almost three years ago when he was found. Arrest warrants obtained state a three-foot metal pole was used to rob Stewart of money, a cell phone, and his car keys. Two other suspects in the case were also arrested. At, they are known as uh, Mayana Morange and Brandon Chambers. According to dis uh, the district attorney, Morange testified in Brooks' trial and is currently in a Pender County jail. And Chambers is being housed in New Hanover County and is still facing a capital murder trial. The victim's parents putting out a press release after this guilty verdict coming down on Friday saying... We are grateful that justice is being served for the brutal, brutal murder of our son. We said, knowing he can never do this to another person, and that gives us some peace. We are very appreciative of all that were involved in the case. We are appreciative of the community's ongoing support over the past three years, 
And a special thank you to his fraternity brothers at UNCW, the Pikes, who have remained by our side throughout this tragedy. We want to bring awareness to the danger of online dating apps. At a later date, we plan to bring some type of awareness program in hopes of preventing another tragedy such as we have experienced, indicating that maybe this was a... uh, a uh, an online dating attempt gone wrong here that led to the murder of this 23-year-old uh, back a couple of years ago. And for the murderer, Raymond Lee Brooks Jr., well, the, according to the district attorney, and he hopes he never sees the light of day again, and it's uh, well pretty hard to argue with that, looking at some of the heinous details on this crime. We're up against our first time out this morning. We'll take a look at your uh, weather coming up after this. You're listening to Wilmington's Morning News. The latest breaking news on air and online. I feel more informed when I listen. Just ask your smart speaker to play 107.9 at 980 The Way. I'm on it. It's 622. Welcome back to Wilmington's Morning News. 910-763-4000 is our phone number if you'd like to jump in on the program this morning. 46 degrees out at the Wilmington International Airport. Temperatures today uh, barely breaking the 60s ahead of some very chilly temperatures over the next couple of days. That is why there is a freeze watch that is slated to go into effect as uh, temperatures very much could be at or below freezing in a couple of the nights upcoming Tuesday and Wednesday. We'll keep you up to date on that. Well, the big news over the weekend, and you might think, well, you know, this isn't my problem. I don't really have to worry about this or care about this. And I think this is definitely something that everybody should at least have some eye on this morning is the details surrounding SVB, Silicon Valley Bank, and the big news on Friday at the nation's 17th largest bank after being in operation for over 40 years that they have, were shut down by the FDIC and the regulators on Friday, which was an act, a move put in place to protect customers as it faced a total liquidity crunch after losing more than $2 billion. The situation that unfolded there surrounded what as what is traditionally known as a bank run. Or you have a bank that lends Uh, excuse me, people deposit money into the bank. The bank invests that money into mostly short-term assets and treasury bonds and things of that nature. And the, the goal of that is, well, that the banks can make money on your money while it's sitting in the bank. And the reason it is called a, quote, bank run is because when you've got more people that are trying to take out more money than the bank has liquid, meaning you know, physical cash available, well, that's a serious problem. And that is exactly what happened with Silicon Valley Bank on Friday. You had individuals that were trying to, and it didn't start on Friday. It started, uh, I believe it started late Wednesday, uh, late in the day Wednesday before the banking system closed, through the day on Thursday, and then by Friday mid-morning, early afternoon, well, it was uh, pretty much all but just completely given that the bank was going to fail. They did not have enough cash on hand to meet the very, very heavy level of deposits that were being requested from the bank. 
So the entire weekend was just this kind of uh, shrugging your shoulders and wondering what's going on. Unlike so many other you know, things that we talk about on a day-to-day basis here, the banking system is closed. Right, so there's not any major moves happening over the weekend. It is the literal definition of a holding pattern. Everybody is just kind of sitting there watching and waiting. And we did learn a lot yesterday. It started off with Janet Yellen appearing on one of the uh, Sunday morning cable programs indicating that Silicon Valley Bank itself, meaning that the executives and the shareholders in that, will not be bailed out. And then the news very late last night is that is that Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank, another bank in New York that had the same problem, is that their depositors, meaning the individuals that put money in those banks, will have the ability to get that money back. It will be backed by the federal government, which, of course, had the Federal Reserve immediately saying, this is not taxpayer monies. Hold on a second. This is not taxpayer monies. Apparently, this money will come from the Deposit Insurance Fund, which covers the deposits, and it is funded with quarterly fees assessed on the financial institutions and interest on government bonds. So it is not immediately being um, pushed in there by taxpayers. The Deposit Insurance Fund will be used here to shore up this money so that individuals that had you know, tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars in Silicon Valley Bank will be able to get their money out. And that's exactly what so many folks are worried about this morning. And it's not even the situation from Silicon Valley Bank that is so concerning. It's what's going to happen at 930 this morning when the markets open. Will you have more bank runs on smaller regional banks As individuals try and grab all of their money and get them into much larger financial institutions like J.P. Morgan, B of A, Chase, whoever it might be. Now, for the general consumer who has less than $250,000 in the bank, they're good to go because FDIC insurance covers up to $250,000 of your deposits. But if you are even a small business that has got, uh, you know, multiple employees, that's not a lot of money at all. As you could have, you know, bi-weekly payroll or weekly payroll that is in the hundreds of thousands of dollars, depending on the size of your small business. So having that money sitting aside, having that money sitting in a bank account is not an uncommon thing. I read something pretty unbelievable over the weekend. Walmart, at any given point, has to keep about... $3 billion in liquid assets in the bank. And you might think, wow, why so much? That's their monthly payroll. So you have to keep that money available so that when, you know, every other week comes around or the 15th, depending on how you pay out in your company, that you've got enough money in there for those direct deposits. And that is exactly who is uh, pretty much shaking in their boots this morning are these companies that have got these large sums of money in cash, either for payroll purposes or, or for other purposes. So we are patiently awaiting as Janet Yellen and the Fed and, uh, you know, the FDIC is attempting to try and quell some of the fears that we're dealing with this morning. And to just to prove to you how serious of a situation this is, the uh, bottom headline this morning on CNBC 
upbraids President Joe Biden to address the nation at 8 o'clock this morning. You might think, wow, that's pretty early. Well, earlier before the banks open and before the stock market opens so that he can uh, try and convince people to not go and make a run on their banks this morning and uh, continue to, you know, they, I mean, you could have the, literally the entire economy crippled if you had a massive bank run and all of these banks started shutting down deposits and were all seized by the federal government. It is going to be a very interesting situation to watch here in a few hours. We'll bring you President Joe Biden's statement in the 8 o'clock hour. What's up, folks? Anthony Armstrong here. Bob Popple, along with Super Bowl champion Carl Banks. Hey, NFL fans. This is Solomon Wilcox, former NFL safety and host of the Believe in Bengals podcast. Catch my show and all 32 Believe NFL podcasts. Listen in to former players give their inside perspective on your favorite team. Search Believe, that's B-L-E-A-V, on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcast. It's always football season, wherever you listen. For the news you need, depend on us. Thank you very much. This is Wilmington's Morning News on 107.9 and 980 The Wave. So a lot going on uh, this morning. We'll have the latest details on uh, Silicon Valley Bank coming up here in an hour. We'll discuss that in more detail at 735. President Joe Biden discussing it in the 8 o'clock hour. We'll get to his comments uh, just after 830 as well. So a, a busy Monday edition of Wilmington's Morning News. Well, here is a headline that you would have assumed made its way to big major news organizations across the United States and uh, maybe even internationally because, you know, it does kind of have a little bit of an international twist to it. But no, it did not. And I'm reading the headline over at Breitbart this morning because they are one of the only organizations that actually published a piece about it. You probably didn't hear about it either. Here's the headline. Over 1,000 migrants storm the El Paso International Bridge in an attempt to enter the United States. The headline, the story reads, a source within the U.S. Customs and Border Protection Group says a group of over a thousand frustrated migrants attempted to force their way into the United States at the Paso del Norte International Bridge in El Paso, Texas. The group of mostly single adult migrants forced their way past Mexican immigration authorities on the Mexico side of the border and attempted to breach the United States port of entry by force on Sunday afternoon. And taking a look at some of the uh, video here, one of the only individuals that actually reports on the border. This guy has been unbelievable. Bill Malugin, you've seen him all over Fox and he uh, put out some video uh, on Twitter yesterday showing this rush. And before anybody gets into the, oh, my gosh, it's women and children, absolutely not. It is military-age men that are in this group. This is men. Now, yes, there are some families and some women sprinkled in there, sure. But the vast majority of this, if I had to get a, give a median age of this group, I'd say, you know, mid to late 20s or early 30s. That's what this group was. Trying to literally force their way, storm their way into the United States. 
The source, who obviously cannot speak to the media with their real name, did, did, did agree to speak to Breitbart in terms of anonymity, told Breitbart, Texas, that staffing the United States side of the bridge prevented the group from entering the Texas city of El Paso as the large migrant group was fortunately pushed back into Mexico and was somewhat dispersed when that happened. The source believes that the group may attempt to breach another international bridge in an area, namely the Stanton, uh, Stanton Leandro facility located on Stanton Street in El Paso. The source said that the migrants are likely frustrated by the increased application of CDC's Title 42 emergency COVID-19 order, which was recently expanded by the Biden administration to include the immediate expulsion of Venezuelan, Cuban, Nicar and Nicaraguan immigrants, uh, migrants that are making their way uh, across the United States-Mexico border. Video published by the city of El Paso shows the bridge being closed on Sunday afternoon with barricades and Customs and Border Patrol officers standing guard. The increased application of the emergency rule reduced crossings along the southwest border in recent months, at least a little bit, and forced migrants to wait in Mexico for the rule to expire or to turn to cartel smugglers and finance you know, that dangerous journey into the United States. And before everybody gets all you know, frustrated with this is, you know, we have a system that needs to be followed. Now, is there some reforms that need to be done in that system? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think you I think you can make the argument a, a sane argument that overall our immigration system, our legal immigration system it just doesn't really make a lot of sense. There's a lot of issues with it. However, the law is the law, the rules are the rules and you have to follow them whether you like them or not. That's the reality of living in a society and taking part in a society you have to be willing to do that so even though you might have to wait in mexico for whatever is going to go on with title 42 while i get that that's you know, i'm sure incredibly frustrating storming the southern border is not a solution illegally crossing the southern border through the Rio Grande or some other dangerous avenue is not a solution. That's breaking the law. And, we, and I, it doesn't, doesn't matter whether you feel this or feel that. It's breaking the law. It should not, and it, 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 hopefully it is not tolerated. It just, it can't be. Before the enhanced application of Title 42 here in the United States, authorities, uh, uh, the Title 42 authority that sees migrants quickly expelled to Mexico or their home country, most migrants crossing in large groups were quickly released to pursue asylum claims in the United States. That's according to Customs and Border Patrol. The rule is set to expire in May and will be replaced by an immigration enforcement measure from the Biden administration that will sub subject migrants who fail to apply for asylum in a third country to expedient removal and impose a five-year ban on reentry into the United States as a consequence of it. As has been reported in recent months, the Border Patrol's El Paso sector led the nation 
in migrant apprehensions, with nearly 56,000 of them in December, prior to President Joe Biden's visiting of that sector in January. 56,000 apprehensions in the El Paso region. Remarkable. That Some might even call that a crisis. Of course, the president won't do that. Alejandro Mayorkas won't do that. Kamala Harris, the border czar and her majesty, she won't do it either. But some might call that a crisis. I don't know. You know, just little old me. <laughs> My radio show. Uh, but, you know, nothing, nothing to see there. As a result of the uh, enhanced application of Title 42, authorities uh, have seen some of the drops there, about 40, 40% or so drop thus far, which is some good news. It's unknown if any of the migrants that attempted to breach the uh, Paso del Norte International Port yesterday were arrested during the event by U.S. or Mexican authorities. A request from uh, the Customs and Border Protection Agency uh, continuing has, has gone unanswered at this time and is uh, currently not been discussed or not been responded to. At least they have not responded to Breitbart's comments. But let's look at exactly what this is, right? This isn't individuals just trying to cross the border. This is a group of able-bodied, late 20, early 30s men, military-age men, attempting to storm the United States. And I mean, at what point and some folks would say, well, the words don't matter. I think the words are some of the, I think the words are incredibly important in this. When you're having these conversations, when you're discussing these issues, words absolutely matter. Let's not just say, oh, this is a couple of migrants. No, this is an invasion. That's what this needs to be called. This is what it needs to be called out for, because that's what it is. It's an invasion of our southern border. And it's so disheartening to me. And it's not just Biden. It's his entire administration. It's so disheartening to me that they're not willing to take this seriously. They're not willing to take it seriously, obviously. And the guy's been in office now 26, 25, 26 months, something like that. And... Our U.S. southern border has been a mess. Our relationship with Mexico right now is a mess to the point where the Mexican president has got the audacity to sit up on national television last week in Mexico and say that the fentanyl problem is a problem of the United States making and that the Mexican government and the Sinaloa drug cartel, which owns him, now they're not responsible at all. It's a, a problem that the United, it's the U.S. problem, nobody else's problem. That goes to show you how poor that relationship is right now. How quickly relationships with foreign uh, countries, which I will say a, re a relationship with Mexico, which literally borders half of our country, pretty important. Having a strong relationship with them is critically important. But it just goes to show you between those comments and our inability or our unwillingness to take a good hard look at the southern border 
is just generally not good for this country. And I think as we approach 2024, the border and border security and specifically drugs like fentanyl will continue to be some of the top of the mind issues that voters have across the United States. The border is, is, might arguably be the biggest black eye of this administration. It might be. It's been over two years, and it's been completely and totally mismanaged. It's 647. You're listening to Wilmington's Morning News. Forty-six degrees out at the Wilmington International Airport. Welcome back to Wilmington's Morning News. 910-763-4000 is our phone number. If you'd uh, like to be in uh, on the program this morning, you can call or text there. Something I want to make sure that you are aware of if you are a uh, gardener or you've got some uh, outdoor plants that you're responsible for, the uh, National Weather Service here in Wilmington is putting a freeze watch in effect for late tomorrow night. So this will be late Tuesday night through Wednesday morning. They note that sub-freezing temperatures as low as 32 degrees at the coast uh, are possible. That's going to be closer to our area. And as you head further inland, uh, temperatures in the upper 20s to around 30 are possible as well. So they want to make sure that you are aware and mindful of that. Again, late Tuesday night through Wednesday morning, if you've got some uh, outdoor plants or have started an early gardening season, which wouldn't fault you for it. It was absolutely gorgeous through the month of February. Uh, you're going to need probably something to make sure your stuff doesn't get killed by the frost uh, and by the freeze coming up a little bit later on this week. So be mindful and be um, make sure you've got uh, everything prepared for that. We'll uh, bring you more details as we get them tomorrow morning. Well, Governor Roy Cooper held his State of the State address back last week, actually a week ago today, and part of his opening was how North Carolina is going to lead the clean economy, and he touted some of the big things that the state of North Carolina has gotten. Uh, One of them was a Vietnamese electric vehicle company known as VinFast. Well, plans to build the electronic vehicles at the proposed production plant in Chatham County have been delayed as Vietnamese electric vehicle maker VinFast announced Friday that they will push off the production of that plant until 2025. According to details in a press release, the company said, quote, we need more time to complete the administrative procedures. And while the state statement didn't specify when in 2025 the plant would start, VinFast delivered its first 45 cars in the United States to California last week. The statement is the latest in a series of ups and downs for company plans in North Carolina as the North Carolina Department of Environmental Quality issued an air quality permit for the Vietnamese Vietnamese electric vehicle maker uh, in this about 2,000-acre site or so back in early February. A VinFast representative confirmed in an email statement to Carolina Journal that the issuance of the permit clears the way for Phase 1 of construction plans for the project to begin. Phase one is expected to produce about 150,000 vehicles per year at the facility in Chatham County. That's according to the North Carolina Department of Commerce and vehicles proposed or produced rather 
at that site will include the VinFast VF9, a seven-passenger all-electric SUV, and the VinFast VF, uh, VF8, a five-passenger all-electric size mid-SUV. So the fa- there's two phases here. Phase one is the vehicle production. Phase two is the battery production. The company is still awaiting approval for a 284-page permit from the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers as construction was supposed to start back in late 2022, but the automaker is still waiting for regulatory approval on if the project would permanently impact nearby waterways. Ah, the old now we got the old federal government rocking in here and creating a little bit of stonewall for North Carolina and our economy. The NCDEQ approval has been the only good news for the vehicle maker, and that was new access roads and two new interchanges off of US-1 that would be in and around this facility. The news comes after job cuts and realignments of north of the, of the North American operator reported last month. In addition to the 80 layoffs, Rodney Haynes, the finance officer of VinFast United States, has left amid a company restructuring. The same report also indicated that there were some layoffs in Canada as well. As back in early January, VinFast announced that it would be consolidating its U.S. and Canadian strategic business and management operations into a single unit called VinFast North America that would be headquartered out in Los Angeles. VinFast told Bloomberg that the restructuring was being done to better serve communities in the region and that it has been working with local service providers to improve efficiency while, the, uh, while they wait and get, try to get all of that squared away. And to me, this immediately just screams red alert, danger, danger. You've got a company that is seemingly dealing with some pretty significant issues, whether those issues are just the general economy as it stands right now. I mean, again, I think there's this, there's this um, false sense of security in the state of which we're living right now that everything's just good to go, rose-colored glasses on everything. Our, our broader economy is not in phenomenal shape. Now, is it a disaster? No. But it's not in great shape. And if you're a company like VinFast, who is expected to build about a $5 billion electric vehicle assembly plant, that's got to be on your radar. That's got to be on your mind, and I think it is. You had that big story just a couple weeks ago about Amazon. With uh, Jeff Bezos uh, making some comments and statements about a big Virginia facility that they were slated to be working on. Now, that's no longer, at least as of right now, not coming to fruition in the size that they, that they had th- thought of and hoped for. Now, the plan was that VinFast would create about 7,500 jobs at the Chatham County plant with an average salary of just over $50,000 a year. And part of the controversy with this is that they'd be receiving, be receiving a little over a billion dollars in terms of incentives, which would be paid over about a 32-year period of time by the taxpayers of Chatham County and the state of North Carolina. Now, this isn't one point, this isn't a $1.2 billion cash infusion to VinFast. 
so they have to you know be in production for a long period of time. But based on everything that's going on right now, I'm not. I mean, 32 years for these incentives to be paid out. I don't know how likely that sounds when the company is, you know, restructuring things seemingly pretty rapidly. The company's only been around since 2017. So not great news for the state of North Carolina and not great news for uh, one for individuals that were hoping to become some of the new 7,500 or so employees at this facility. It doesn't appear that uh, we're going to have any movement on that until about 2025. All right, that's going to do it for hour number one of Wilmington's Morning News. We'll grab a, a quick commercial break at the bottom of the hour and let you know why the L.A. Times thinks it's racist to drive your car. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Title Transference aired October 27, 2004. Director James Marshall, writers Todd Slavkin, Darren Swimmer. I really like this episode, and I'm surprised that you don't like it as much as you thought you did. I actually respect your opinion more than I respect my own in general. <laughs> when you say things are good and I check them out, they are. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen. WAAV on 1027 FM HD2. Experience it today. This is Wilmington's Morning News on 107.9 and 980 The Wave. So welcome in to a Monday edition of Wilmington's Morning News, March the 13th, 2023. It's great to have you here. 910-763-4000 is our phone number. If you are uh, feeling a little bit uh, more tired this morning, of course, dealing with the uh, clocks changing over the weekend, it's, uh, it's great to have you alongside. Hey, coming up here in one hour, I'm very excited. We'll have a former senator from the state of Pennsylvania, Rick Santorum will join us here live on the program. We'll be talking about an event coming up here in Wilmington on Wednesday for the Convention of States. That's former U.S. Senator Rick Santorum will join us here in an hour on Wilmington's Morning News. So I spend a lot of time on the Internet. And it's not just, you know, browsing through Instagram and checking, you know, all that stuff. And uh, don't get me wrong, there's plenty of time spent on that. But a lot of it is just constantly looking at news stories and articles that are being published. And we've covered a plethora of ridiculous headlines in our, in our days here. <laughs> we've got a, a, we could have a Hall of Fame for some of the stupid headlines and articles. But, man, this one over at the LA Times late last week really kind of takes the cake. Here is the headline. This is from the Los Angeles Times. LATimes.com is where I'm reading the article. How white drivers spew pollution breathed by people of color. Once again, how white drivers spew pollution breathed by people of color. The subheadline. How white and affluent drivers are polluting the air breathed by L.A.'s people of color. There's a disclaimer before this article that this story was originally published in a weekly newsletter called The Boiling Point, which is about climate change and the environment. So if you want more phenomenal headlines like this, you need to go sign up for the 
LA Times boiling point email where you can find out more great things about how somehow your skin color has to do with how much uh, you pollute. Pretty remarkable. Like many Angeltonians, which I didn't even know existed, that's what people from Los Angeles call themselves, apparently. This is the author, uh, Sammy Roth. I spend a lot of time behind the wheel of my car. I drive from my West Side apartment to Dodgers Stadium near downtown and farther east to hike in the San Gabriel Mountains. I take the 405 freeway north to the San Fernando Valley to see my friends or occasionally south to the LA Times office or to the airport where I grow my carbon footprint even further. I promise you this is not an article at The Onion or The Babylon Bee. This is a real deal story over at the LA Times. So I couldn't help but consider my own complicity while reading a new study from USC researchers finding that people in Los Angeles who drive more tend to be less exposed to air pollution. And those from Los Angeles who drive less tend to be more exposed to the pollution. It may sound like a paradox, but it's not. It's a function of the racism that shaped this city and its suburbs and continues to influence our daily lives. A stark reminder of the need for climate change solutions that benefit everyone. <sighs> yeah, that is the current status. This is just, this is just two paragraphs, but this is the current status of the progressives and i can only laugh while i say this but this isn't somebody that is writing a parody article the author of this sammy roth genuinely genuinely believes that i'm gonna say he i don't want to be careful there with the pronouns but that he is causing these problems, right? This isn't like, oh, I'm, I'll bet you a hundred bucks to put together this ridiculous article. No, this is somebody that when they say we need climate change solutions that benefit everyone, they actually mean this. And that's what's so terrifying about some of the brainwashing that's going on in progressive circles is this stuff is, this stuff is gospel to them. So the core findings of this study from USC found that for every, and look at these, these numbers, for every 1% increase in miles driven to and from work by people who live in a particular part of LA County, there is an estimated 0.62% decrease in the lung damage of fine particulate matter to which those from Los Angeles are exposed. Now, I, I looked at this for like 25 minutes last night, and I couldn't figure out what the math even is on this. For every 1% increase in miles driven to and from work, I don't know how you are doing miles and percentages. I don't, know, I, I don't understand that. So the more you drive, apparently, the longer your commute is, and this is what I came up with, I could be wrong, the more that you drive, the less 
likely you are, the, the less lung damage that you're getting of, from fine particulate matter. So for every 1%, it's a 0.62% decrease. The numbers are just so, seems like a statistical error practically. Then the author asks, well, how is that even possible? Well, according to um, Greg Boeing, or uh, yeah, Greg Boeing, a professor at USC's USC's uh, Soul Print School of Public Policy, he told me it largely comes down to the shameful history of Los Angeles County's low-income communities of color being torn apart to make way for freeways. A history that has been extensively documented by the Los Angeles Times. Today, many residents of the county's whiter, more affluent neighborhoods who were often able to, quote, keep highways out of their own backyards. Yeah, the likes of uh, privileged white Democrats commute to work through lower income black and Latino neighborhoods bisected by the 10, the 101 and the 105 freeways and more. Now, that absolutely is the case. The rich liberals, you know, the, 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 the liberals that live in Los Angeles County, the hills of Hollywood, they absolutely keep highways out of their own backyard. They don't want a highway. They don't want low-income housing in their backyard. We had that story a couple of months ago. You know, the same individuals that are advocating for affordable housing are the first ones to say, oh, we don't want any of this in my backyard. NIMBY. Here's the headline. This is back from early January. Steph Curry, big Biden supporter, big lib, big Democrat, opposes a 30 million or opposes an affordable housing complex near his 30 million dollar mansion in Los Angeles outside of Los Angeles of course this is how the left operates they don't of course these democrats aren't going to want affordable housing in their own backyard they're hypocrites the, rec- the uh, professor over at USC said, it's not like commuters are coming in and shopping in those communities and patronizing the restaurants. They're just driving through them to get from one side of the city to the other. Noting that Southern California has some of the nation's worst air quality. Well, it's a bunch of Democrats there. What a surprise. Cars and trucks are one of the main reasons why. And the closer you are to the source, the more danger you face. Whenever I move, I insist on finding an apartment at least 1,000 feet away from the nearest freeway. After reading an L.A. Times investigation revealing that people who live near freeways suffer higher rates of asthma, heart attacks, strokes, lung cancer, preterm births, and potentially other illnesses such as dementia. I, I don't know how they're attributing living near a freeway to dementia. I mean, I guess if you just really spend all of your time looking in between the margins, you're likely to find any sort of scientific evidence to back up your claim. And and see, that's a key part of this. When you look at all of these statistics, these numbers, you dig far enough, you manipulate the numbers far enough, and you can whip a statistic into fitting whatever agenda you're trying to push. You see that on both sides of the political aisle. 
That's not anything that's new. And when you're talking about margins of less than 1%, it's a pretty hard argument that, oh, yeah, this is a guarantee. Talking about a 0.62% percentage difference. I'm not even sure how that's calculated. Seems like a math, seems like it could, it very well is a statistical, statistical error. Nevertheless, this is what makes for crackpot reporting over at the LA Times. We'll grab a, a quick time out here if you want to, to jump in and maybe give me your thoughts on how white drivers spew pollution that hurts people of colors according to people of color according to the Los Angeles Times. You can do so at 910-763-4000. We're keeping Cape Fear talking. That's the point that I'm talking about. Wilmington's Morning News with Nick Craig on 107.9 and 980 The Wave. 45 degrees out at the Wilmington International Airport. Welcome back to Wilmington's Morning News. You can be part of the program by texting or calling at 910-763-4000. Our uh, topic at hand this morning is an article in the Los Angeles Times late last week. The headline reading, How White Drivers Spew Pollution Breathed by People of Color. The article is essentially... Uh, saying that if uh, you know if white people that don't typically live next to freeways, they drive through these communities, which they tend to note are with black and Hispanic people that live there, and that those individuals are causing more pollution in those areas where minority communities typically live. Which I mean is an unbelievable stretch, even for the L.A. Times. That's a pretty big stretch. And they understand this because it's noted right here that while it's noted that the study doesn't conclusively prove that the patterns in how Los Angeles, how people from Los Angeles get to work are the sole responsibility for different levels of air pollution. Of course not. Because that's a ridiculous point to make. Yeah, thanks. So what you're essentially saying is the whole article that I just wrote is not relevant because the study can't conclusively prove one thing or the other. Again, this is, this is the idea of just using statistics to fit something. So the difference between causation and correlation. It notes... Majority white west side neighborhoods, for instance, could also be benefiting from ocean breezes that push pollution into predominantly black and Latino areas. So is the so now the ocean is also racist, apparently. Ocean breeze is racist. If you're out and about this morning and you're feeling the ocean breeze, the LA Times is also under the uh, impression that that is racially uh, biased as well. I mean, everything with the left is is about some sort of identity everything you can't have a salient discussion without everything immediately turning into race gender religion or something of that nature but nevertheless the los angeles times author has some solutions for us sammy roth has some solutions according to him getting more people into electric cars is definitely one of them Another study from USC, which is probably just as garbage as the one that we just went through, 
published last month found that as more people drive zero-emission cars in California, fewer people are being sent to emergency rooms due to asthma, at least in the areas where people are buying and leasing those cleaner vehicles. So another... <laughs> who's funding these studies? If you drive... The more electric vehicles there are, the less people that are going to the emergency room due to asthma? The number is so infinitesimally small of people that drive electric vehicles, even in Los Angeles. There is no... I'm not a scientist. I'm not a statistician. None of these things. But I can guarantee you without a shadow of a doubt that the number of people that are driving EVs, even in a place like California, is so small in the major in the in the in, you know the larger scale of what we're looking at that it has no statistical impact on the people that are going to the emergency rooms due to asthma. Now, if it was ninety percent of the people driving it, maybe you could start getting some numbers that would prove your point. But it's not. It's such a small group. So that's one solution: less people with asthma. Great. Governor Gavin Newsom, maybe a presidential hopeful, has set a goal of ending the sale of most gasoline vehicles by 2035, so within the next decade or so. The climate bill signed by President Biden, though, could complicate that effort. As was reported by the Los Angeles Times, the Inflation Reduction Act is set to phase out federal tax credits for electric cars that aren't built in the United States, at least a temporary obstacle for some automakers. No, it's not a temporary obstacle at all. If you're going to be getting breaks on your taxes or getting tax credits or money from U.S. taxpayers, the thing should be made in the United States. And now the author of this article is in quite the conundrum. Here's how the uh, here's one of the final paragraphs here in the story. Regardless, switching from oil to electricity won't solve everything. As the study notes, electric vehicles still produce harmful air pollutions like dust from brake pads and toxic chemicals from tires. And cars of all kinds can kill pedestrians and drivers. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so <laughs> we went from if you're white and you drive a car in Los Angeles, you're racist to, well, cars, no matter what they are, electric or gas powered, kill pedestrian and drivers anyway. Where's the correlation there? And what is the relevance of this? You know what else kills people, too? You know what else kills people? Electricity. What, you've, you've never heard of somebody getting electrocuted? Happens all the time. Do, is, do we need to outlaw electricity? The, you know, the, oh, this guy lives out in L.A., lives near the beach. Look how many people die every year in the water. Do we, we need to ban water? I mean, what a, what a ridiculous point to even make. And are we now trying to correlate the dust from brake pads on cars to racial pollution? Because that's, that's what this is seemingly indicating. By the way, no reference in here at all 
in this entire article about how we don't have the electrical infrastructure to power these new cars that this author and Gavin Newsom and Joe Biden would like. Because they have decided to move away from more cleaner types of oil. They have put the grid of the United States, the electrical grid, in a pretty tough position. And we know that solar and wind cannot generate the demand needed for this all-electric ecosystem. So if you're buying an electric car right now and you're charging it up at your house, well, it is a likely a coal or gas-powered power plant that is providing you that electricity, which I am absolutely certain the LA Times would agree that that is also racist as well. So a reflection on how cars are dangerous and kill people and brake pads kill people Better chance of getting asthma if you don't drive an electric vehicle. But no comment at all about our crippling energy infrastructure and how our current president and the Democrats have shipped off energy production to foreign countries, leaving the United States high and dry. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. If you sacrifice your dream for the sake of satisfying someone else, that can often lead to ongoing resentment, which then poisons a relationship subtly, slowly, but it does. And if he doesn't want to let you down, then your dreams matter. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. Whatever happens next, happens here. I find everything that you're saying so informative. Breaking news first on 107.9 and 980 The Wave. Big guest coming up here in just 30 minutes this morning. Former senator from the state of Pennsylvania, Rick Santorum, will join us to talk about the convention of states in an event taking place here in Wilmington a little bit later on this week. Before we can get to that, the news of the weekend surrounds SVB, Silicon Valley Bank, a uh, bank that's about 40 years old, which, you, you know, like many of you, I hadn't heard of SVB prior to the news, all uh, everything breaking on Friday about it. But it's a bank that's about 40 years old and has, has been around for quite some time. And it was announced on Friday, Friday afternoon, that the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, or the FDIC as you know it more as, seized control of Silicon Valley Bank, confirming that the lender was shut down by regulators in California amid a run on the bank. So the term bank run is not a new term. It's existed for, I mean, as long as people have stored their money with other individuals. And the way, the, the way that I can you know, best describe it this morning is the, when the, a bank, the bank like SVB or any other bank, they have depositors. Those are people like you and I and businesses that have their money stored with that bank in, a, in some sort of an account. Well, the bank doesn't hold on to every single dollar that you have stored in terms of liquid assets. A bank... Big banks specifically will invest some of your money into, you know, things like bonds and securities and things that are relatively low risk while they're sitting on your money. It's a very common practice. That's, there's nothing new about that. There's nothing nefarious about that. It's not one off. 
the problem becomes when you've got your customers, in the case of you know businesses and people, when you've got their money invested elsewhere and they come to get their money and you don't have it, that is a serious problem. And that is exactly what happened on Friday. SVB, which has 17 branches in California and a couple of uh, other individual, a couple of other banks across like the there's like a branch or two in New York City, one or two in Massachusetts. Um, you know, they they have these branches, um, you know, they venture toward they, they cater towards VC money, venture capital money. And based on the name, they're very much in the tech sphere, in the tech space. And if you're a tech startup, that's kind of where you go. Early last week, Silicon Valley Bank discovered mounting losses and shares plummeted more than 60% before being halted. And the bank was in the middle of a liquidation crisis after announcing plans for a $1.25 billion stock sale with little interest. They went ahead and... Decided that, well, the, the, they, they didn't um, decide anything. They had to start liquidating their assets, meaning they had to start getting out of the things that they had invested money in, right? Because people are coming knocking at the door saying, hey, where's my money? I need, I need, to, I need to withdraw, and they didn't have it. So they, have made, they had money in a lot of these longer-term investments, which weren't ready to pay out, and they had to just cut their losses and take it. So they were getting, you know, they were taking it on the chin with that, and they were taking it on the chin from people coming and grabbing all their money. And it was a copious amount of money. By the end of the day Thursday, the end of the day Thursday, $42 billion worth of deposited money had been withdrawn from the bank. <laughs> Can you believe that? Thursday at the close of business, which is what four thirty here on the East Coast, you know, one o'clock, one thirty out there on the West Coast, they had a negative cash balance of almost a billion dollars, nine hundred and fifty-eight million, according to filings. And as they went into Friday morning, they failed to get enough collateral from their other sources, from whatever it was, to have enough cash flow. So this was a literal bank run. Now, what's some of the some of the ongoings here are pretty interesting. We're all familiar. I, well, most of us are familiar with FDIC. If you have money stored in pretty much any reputable bank, pretty much any bank at all, you'll see a little logo maybe on their website or when you go to the branch somewhere that says FDIC insured. What does that mean? That means for every account that you have with that financial institution, $250,000 of it or up to $250,000 worth of it is backed by the federal government, the, Fe the federal uh, deposit, um, the FDIC, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. If you have over $250,000 in an account at one of these uh, financial institutions, that money is not protected by the FDIC. Now, for regular consumers, that's probably not a big deal. 
Most of us don't have a quarter of a million dollars sitting in a savings or a checking account. Some of us do, and that's you know, great. It's not really a big deal for custom for, for general individuals as much as it is for businesses. If you're a company that employs 100 people, and you got to make payroll every two weeks, well, you're going to have to have a significant amount of money in liquid assets, in cash, to make payroll, right? People's direct deposits come out every two weeks or the 15th or the 30th, whatever your deposit schedule might be. So you had companies that had tens of millions of dollars stored in cash at, ba- at a bank like SV, uh, S, uh, SV, uh, SBV. Millions of dollars. Tens of some blanks, places hundreds of millions of dollars in liquid cash sitting there. And before last night, all of, all of that minus $250,000 of it is, was gone, could have been gone. But the uh, big breaking news last night was that plans to reimburse deposits, meaning the depositors, the people that had their money stored at Silicon Valley Bank, would in fact be happening. According to a senior Treasury Department official around 8 or 9 o'clock last night, for the banks that were put into receivership, the FDIC will use funds from the deposit insurance fund to ensure that all of the depositors are made whole. So what does that mean this morning? Well, it means that these companies and these maybe these small businesses that had over $250,000 that were over that, that were not going to be insured by the, uh, by the federal government through the FDIC, they are going to get their money back and it's going to be whole. Now, money is going to come from the deposit insurance fund. According to the Treasury, that fund is what's bearing the risk not the taxpayers. This is not a federal corporate, or this is not a federal government bailout of a bank. Not at all. This is the FDIC bearing this risk. It's their money that's in that fund. The deposit insurance fund is part of the FDIC and is funded by quarterly fees assessed on financial institutions. The same way that you pay insurance premiums for your house or your car. And when you, you know, something, God forbid, something happens to your house or your car, you can go to your insurance company and file a claim. It's a similar thing with this, but you have to pay into it. So these financial institutions that are part of the FDIC system pay quarterly fees based on the amount of money that they have. But, you know, there's some calculation on it. So based on that and the interest on funds invested in government bonds will cover this risk. Now, the deposit insurance fund reportedly has over $100 billion in it, according to a Treasury official, which they say is more than fully sufficient to cover the depositors over at Silicon Valley Bank. In addition to protecting these deposits, the Federal Reserve announced a new banking term funding program that is aimed at safeguarding institutions vulnerable to the market instability created by the Silicon Valley Bank failure. And that is exactly what we are watching this morning, is what is going to happen when banks open. 
when the banking system gets started this morning, is there going to be run runs on the banks on smaller regional financial institutions, which while Silicon Valley Bank was the 17th largest bank in the country, which you know seems pretty big, in the grand scheme of things, they were still more of a regional bank. They had branches in New York and California. And yes, they did a lot of money. They had a lot of clients, but they weren't Bank of America or Chase or Wells Fargo. They weren't any of these massive companies. But these smaller financial institutions that don't have as much of the liquid on hand, the much of the physical cash on hand. What is going to happen this morning? That is what everybody is waiting for with bated breath. You know, has this situation with Silicon Valley Bank created this greater fear and has it stoked the flame of a bank run across the United States? I, I don't know. I don't think anybody knows. And that's what we're waiting to find out this morning. President Joe Biden set to address the country here in just about 15 minutes to talk about the banking system. That goes to show you how serious the administration thinks about this. They do not want something like this going on this morning. We'll get to some comments from Janet Yellen, plus your phone calls and text messages coming up at 910-763-4000. Welcome back to Wilmington's Morning News, 752-910-763-4000 is our phone number if you'd like to jump in on the program this morning. Everybody just kind of uh, in a holding pattern as we wait to see what happens when banks and the stock markets open here in the next hour and a half or so with uh, the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank over the weekend. We've got a couple of callers hanging on the line this morning. Let's start it off with uh, Mike and Wilmington. Mike, you're on the air. Go ahead, sir. Hey, good morning. Morning. The, uh, the, the, the problem with, with most of these banks is the, the, the rate of deposit, the interest on your deposits of cash in the banks is so low. People are taking their money out of the bank. They're buying three months, six months, two-year treasuries, which pay substantially higher rates of interest. And the banks are holding bonds themselves, right? But the price they paid for those bonds was so much higher than the price is today because the interest rates have gone up mm. and the price of the bond came down. Well, right. So, the, so all these banks are all sitting on unrealized losses. Yep. Which is the problem that Silicon Valley Bank had, and in order to cover the losses, they got to sell the treasuries. It's substantially lo- It's to substantially higher losses than the value of the bonds. Because Moody's is going to come in and say, hey, you know what? These are unrealized losses. We're going to downgrade your credit rating. Then the, you know, the bank regulars come in and say, you've got to raise capital. And that would, that's what precipitates the crisis. And, and, and everybody's got losses, unrealized losses. The Federal Reserve Bank is bankrupt. They bought so <laughs> many bonds. They bought so many bonds at 0% interest. And now those bond prices have collapsed. 
but they're carrying all those losses on their balance sheet, but they're the Fed, so it doesn't matter. They you know, do an Enron accounting gimmick, and everything's okay. Yeah, they're good to go. No problem there. It's, it's so amazing when you – and I saw this stat over the weekend, and it was pretty eye-opening to me. And, for, again, for general consumers, this SVB thing is not the biggest deal in the world because most people don't have that much in a, in a bank account. However, big businesses, Walmart – has to keep a, over $3 billion worth of cash in their checking and savings accounts because of payroll, Mike. I mean, because they're so, they have so many employees that they have to store this money where it's easily accessible. And in the case, a lot of these companies like Roku, for example, have like $250 million worth of cash over at SVB. It's it's pretty remarkable. But what, what are your thoughts on this whole um, buyout, as it's being called, this, uh, this backup by the, uh, by the federal government and the FDIC? It's a bailout for oligarchs in the Chinese Communist Party, right? I mean, at least a third of those startups are Chinese Chinese startups. I know? struggle with I mean, it because it, uh, here, here's my struggle with it. Everybody, if you're a company of that size and that scope, your CFO, whoever is responsible for your finances, you know that only $250,000 worth of your money is backed by the federal government. That That is, everybody knows that. It's not a secret. It's not a hidden thing. You don't have to be in the know to know about it. It's a, it's a very bog standard thing that people know. Yet they took those risks with a bank that has had issues for months now, and now the FDIC is coming to 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 bail them out. Essentially, I I, I struggle with it. Of course, you, I don't I don't think it's necessarily fair that a company loses three hundred million dollars because this bank mismanaged their uh, you know their borrowing of 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 money. But at the same vein, I mean, you know your risks, Mike. You and I do it every day with everything we do in our lives. I don't know why these guys are any different. I mean, it's a tough call. A lot of small people are going to get hurt. Yeah. Right. But at, at some point, at some point, you've got to let capitalism run the course. We didn't do that in 07 and 08. Mm, yeah. We did quantitative easing. We did 0% interest rates. We printed, you know, trillions and trillions of dollars. And, and, you know, a lot of people say, oh, well, you know, President Trump spent this or President Obama spent that. Here's a newsflash for you. 45% of, of all the debt ever created happened under Nancy Pelosi's watch as speaker. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty at remarkable. At some point, at some point, you gotta these. You gotta let these these losses unravel and these banks unravel, and they gotta be sold at, at, at fire sale prices to new investors. And that's and that's you can't the, keep bailing everything out. And that's the million dollar question this morning, Mike. Appreciate your insight. Great call this morning at nine one zero seven six three four thousand. Let's jump on over to our next call. Another Mike, Jersey Mike, giving us a ring in this morning. Jersey Mike, what's going on, my friend? Uh, I agree with you, uh, Nick. Uh, one thing, you know, I remember when they bailed out uh, General Motors uh, during the Obama administration, and I was like, you know, uh, I never got bailed out. No, and no, never. Not once. There's, there's hundreds of automobile companies that have gone bust through the years. You don't see a Studebaker anymore. So it's like, why does the government pick and choose who they want to bail out? And uh, my other question is, um, I'd like to know what kind of investments this bank had. Did they just have it all in silicone, you know, all their eggs in one basket where now it went bust? 
And every other day you hear some tech company laying off tens of thousands of, of employees. Is that what uh, facilitated their implosion as well? I, I'm not sh- I don't know that that played a massive role in, in it. From, from what I understand, and I mean, I've done as much reading as I could on this over the weekend, but it, this is way above my pay grade. But from, from what I understand about it is uh, they, uh, you know, this say a bank has got a, 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 a you know, a ten, a hundred dollars in, in terms of pe- people have deposited a hundred dollars total. They don't keep that hundred dollars. They shuffle it around. They invest some of that into this and that. And unfortunately, they had a lot of investments in these long-term securities. And when people started knocking on the door and saying, hey, we need our cash, they had to start selling these things at significant losses. And it just it's a it's a it's a ripple effect. You have to you're literally robbing Peter to pay Paul. You need to get the money out, so you're taking a forty percent loss on a on a security that hasn't uh, hasn't matured yet. And then the next thing you know, you look up and you've got. They, I mean, this this number is staggering. People pulled out forty two billion dollars worth of deposits Wednesday and Thursday of last week from this bank. That is a remarkable amount of money that got pulled out. It got pulled out very rapidly. This bank's balance sheets were not in the green and they didn't have the cash. That's what it comes down to, plain and simple. They did not have enough cash on hand and could not liquidate enough of their assets to make up the cost difference. It's why it's literally call a run on the bank. And the big concern this morning is, is this going to happen with other regional financial institutions? We don't know. That's why the president is set to address the nation. Originally, I saw 8 o'clock. Now I'm seeing 9 o'clock. Not exactly sure when that's going to happen, but he's going to try and get ahead of this before all hell breaks loose in the uh, financial markets a little bit later on today. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Let's get into season four, episode three, Facade. People get picked on. I got picked on. But Scabby Abby, Scabby, the whole school it yeah, just hurt me. I felt like it wasn't real. If I may, I want to defend the storytellers. The people who created the show wanted you to feel like these people were the worst people ever. They pretty much said the whole school of Smallville High are bad people. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen. We bring you the news as it happens. Established, reputable. Wilmington's Morning News with Nick Cray on 107.9 and 980 The Wave. It's 8.06. Welcome back to Wilmington's Morning News on this Monday edition, March the 13th, 2023. 910-763-4000 is our phone number if you want to jump in or text in on the program this morning. Well, many of uh, our listeners here this morning, very politically astute, are familiar with the phrase or the idea of convention of states. But not many folks necessarily know exactly what that entails. To give us some more details on convention of states this morning, it's my pleasure to welcome the former senator from Pennsylvania, Rick Santorum, to our airwaves this morning. Senator Santorum, can you explain to the listeners this morning exactly what convention of state is and why it's so important? Oh, th- thank you, Nick. I really appreciate the opportunity. You're so right. That's the biggest problem we, we confront when uh, we go in front of uh, people and the, the, the legislatures who are involved with convention states is they really don't have a real understanding of it. But here's the interesting thing. Our founders, who actually put it in the Constitution, do have a, did have a very good understanding of it because uh, conventions of states was a common way of which they governed. Uh, and in fact, it's not an uncommon way in which uh, the United States, the states of this country 
have governed over the past 240-some years now. And what it is in this particular version of Convention of States is a Convention of States called under Article 5 of the Constitution. Article 5 of the Constitution provides two ways to amend the Constitution. One is for the Congress to do it, to have it come out of Washington. So the, the folks in Washington come together and decide usually because of intense pressure from the people, uh, to change the Constitution. And, and they've done that. They did the first 10 amendments uh, with Congress proposed them, and then they've done 17 subsequent amendments. So there's been 27 amendments to the Constitution. All of them are, have originated in Congress. But the founders put in a second provision because they were concerned that, uh, that Congress would become all-powerful, and uh, the more power they got, the more power they would seek, and they would disrupt the, um, uh, the freedom of, the, uh, of, of people and, and the rights of the states, which they were very concerned. People don't remember, but what the, the folks who came to the Constitutional Convention were all state legislators. There weren't, they weren't congressmen. There was no Congress. Uh, and, and so these folks had, you know, the states formed the United States, and they wanted to make sure the states would still, because they understood in this vast country, even vast at the time with 13 colonies, but they knew this was going to grow, that there was going to be great diversity and things were going to be different from place to place. They already were. And so they wanted to make sure that, that people could live the lives they wanted to live and not be forced by a central government, all-powerful central government, to, to, to live according to one set of rules and principles that, that, that would dominate everybody. So they put this provision, Article 5, that said the states can come together. They made it hard because many of the Constitution is hard and should be hard. Mm. They made it hard. They had to get uh, two-thirds of the states to agree to have a convention. The state legislatures had to agree to have a convention. And second, that anything that would come out of that convention, just like anything that would, pass, that would be proposed by Congress, three-quarters, or in this case, 38 states would have to ratify it. So it's a, it's a difficult process. Uh, and it's one that guarantees that anything that comes out of this convention has broad public support and, frankly, bipartisan support uh, for, for it to be added to the Constitution. Rick Santorum joins us this morning. We're talking about Convention of States. So you made some uh, statewide news a couple of weeks ago. You were actually up at the General Assembly in Raleigh talking to legislators up there about this. What was the what was the gist of that conversation? Uh, it was a great conversation. I, I was you know, one of the things that I, I love to see from legislators, particularly as you mentioned, Craig, because you, you really set this up perfectly, mo this is a new thing that, that's never been done before. There's never been a convention of state. There's been all sorts of calls under Article 5 that have been attempted, but they've never gotten that high bar of two thirds of the states being, uh, you know, agreeing to come together because you have to agree on the subject matter of the, of the convention. Uh, so there have been hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of calls for convention approved by legislatures over the centuries, but there's never been one that got 34 or two-thirds of the states to agree, uh, because it's, it's just hard to do, because most of them are driven by, as this is, the one I'm uh, supporting, it's, it's, uh, this one's driven by one party or the other, usually, and, and because that's, you know, it's a political country, and so one party or the other usually comes forward. In this case, it's, it's overwhelmingly conservatives. It's, it's Republicans who are saying we need to limit the scope and the power uh, and the spending and the, and the taxation and the terms of, uh, of people in Washington, D.C. We have to do something to, to 
restore federalism and give back power to the people and to the states and stop this centralization of t- and tyranny that's going on in Washington, but the spending that's going on in Washington, the taxation and the regulation and the wokeness, all that stuff. And it's really it, it's caused quite a, quite a furor across the country. Uh, we have now 19 states that have agreed to do this. And North Carolina House, uh, when I was up there, it was, uh, we got tremendous response from, from folks there. It passed again in the North Carolina House. It's passed twice already. Uh, and, you know, we believe we are right there on the cusp of, uh, of passage in the Senate, and uh, that's where it's, it's up next. And uh, so we're putting on this, this final push to try to get the Senate to bring it up. And because uh, if it goes to the floor of the Senate, we have no doubt it will pass. Uh, but there are a few, uh, I know you're going to find this hard to believe, but there are a few senators sort of lying in the weeds uh, who don't want to vote on this thing and sort of telling their, their leaders, uh, you know, well, you know, it's, I don't really, I'm not, I'm not really sure, so would you, <laughs> would you not vote it so I'm not exposed as to whether I'm for it or not? Of course. Uh, well, we know the, the typical, uh, typical thing that we see in politics here across the United yeah. States. So there's two events here in uh, North Carolina over the next couple of days. There's an event tomorrow up in Greenville, North Carolina, and then an event, event here in Wilmington on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. It's taking place at the Hannah Block USO. That's downtown from 6.30 until 8 p.m. Wednesday. That's March 15th. You can find out more details. Details at, at conventionofstates.com. And Senator Santorum, you touched on something that's always been one of my big concerns with Convention of States is when you open the convention, you said that the legislators have to agree on the topics. Does that mean that we're not talking about Pandora's box being opened here? How exactly does that process work? No, as a matter of fact, it, it, it just sort of makes sense. There have been hundreds and hundreds of convention calls throughout the course of our country but we've never had a convention of states because it's required under the Constitution that whatever the call for convention has to be the same in all 34 jurisdictions. Why? Gotcha. Because that's the subject matter. And unless you agree on the subject matter, and, and it's a limited subject matter, or in this case it is, it doesn't have to be. It could be broader, but it's not. Uh, it, whatever the subject matter that is in the resolution has to be identical from state to state because that is, the, that is the basis upon which the convention is called, and you're limited to only those things. And so unless you have an agreement with 34 states is what you're limited to, you can't even get to the convention. So the idea that this, that this could be anything, well, if that's the case, we'd already have hundreds and hundreds of conventions because we passed a bunch of them in states. And, mm. and, and we haven't because they have to be limited to the subject matter at hand. Here's the other thing. Almost every state so far, there have been 19 of them, almost every state so far have passed some sort of uh, process by which the delegates are selected. And in that process, and by the way, they're always state legislators, so the folks who are going to go to this convention are members of the state legislature appointed by them. And, and uh, all of them have what's called a faithful delegate provision, which says – that if you do not abide by this convention limitation, if you somehow try to propose or vote on something or try to vote on something that is outside, you are, you are <laughs> in some cases, crim- you know, criminally liable, subject, you're going to be recalled wow. and, and fined and put in jail. So the idea that this could be a runaway is ridiculous. I mean, anybody who's looked at the facts and the fact that you can't do it, number one, if you do do it, you're going to be penalized for doing it. And by the way, if somehow or another you overcome that, which is to me impossible, but if that's the case, still three quarters of the states have to ratify anything that comes out of here, which again means anything that comes out has to be broadly popular and, and in most cases bipartisan.
We're talking to Rick Santorum this morning, the former senator from Pennsylvania, about convention of states. you got 19 on board right now looking at the uh, map on the website, a couple of other states where it's passed one chamber, including here in North Carolina. Do any of these uh, any of these bills that have been passed in these states, do they have a time restriction or limitation on this, or can you guys continue to chip away at this, and then once everybody's on board, the convention itself is actually called? A couple of them do. Uh, I the- the ones that I'm familiar with are Texas and Nebraska. Uh, Texas is actually there. Uh, there's a bill in Texas right now to extend that uh, for, I think, another 10 or 15 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, some states feel more comfortable with, with, a, with a time limit. Uh, here's the bottom line. Uh, once any, any subsequent legislature can repeal what the previous legislature would do. And one of the things I always tell conservatives who – some of them a very small percentage, but significant. I mean, there's a few conservatives who, who for some reason, in my opinion, just haven't taken the time to really understand this. And there are folks out there on the left who are trying to stoke fear, saying, oh, this could be terrible, it could be runaway, it could be horrible. These are all coming from the left who are uniformly against this. But some on the right, you know, operate not out of faith, but out of fear. And, <laughs> and they're afraid of doing anything new or, or, try, or, or taking any kind of, quote, chance. Uh, and and I and look, I understand it, but it's not it's not based on on fact or reality. So yeah, we 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 feel very we feel very very confident that uh, whatever when this is pulled together, uh, we're gonna we're gonna have probably the biggest event in the history of our country, where everybody in the nation is going to be focused on this convention. It's going to be the first of its kind, and the idea that that this is going to go off the rails while the nation is watching everything that happens. And these people are at the most important event that they're ever participated in their lives to do something to try to save our republic, that somehow or another this is going to go off the rails in broad and, you know, in front of every God and country and themselves, subjecting themselves to criminal penalties. It's just absurd. Two events taking place here in North Carolina this week, up in Greenville tomorrow, here in Wilmington on Wednesday. What can folks expect when they go to one of these uh, town hall-style meetings that are taking place across the state? Uh, you know, we'll, we'll have uh, experts. There'll be uh, two different uh, folks here. Mark Meckler, who's the head of, our, uh, of the organization who uh, started uh, Tea Party Patriots uh, many, many years ago, back in 2010, uh, with, the, with the election cycle back then. It caused quite a quite a huge shift in the, uh, uh, in, in the Congress for a period of time. But I think he learned from that, from that uh, huge election win that winning elections in Washington isn't enough, uh, that there's structural problems that, frankly, affect both parties. And so you'll hear that perspective from him as somebody who's been out there working the conservative grassroots uh, and for conservative causes now for, you know, for close to 20 years. This is a guy who uh, sort of learned the lessons the hard way. And like me, was not an initial supportive convention of states. And uh, it just was a matter of, it's, it, it, it's obvious at this point that things are not going to get better on their own. You, it's the old idea. You keep doing the same thing and expecting a different result. I mean, you just saw Joe Biden's budget. You know, we're looking <laughs> to adding 10 to $12 trillion uh, in the next 10 years. I mean, over a trillion dollars a year. We're spending at levels we've never seen, literally never seen in this country. So I'm not talking about absolute dollars. I'm talking about as a percentage of the gross domestic product. We're spending at the highest levels the government's ever spent, and he's going to continue it on to take more taxes and, and, and spend money and disrupt uh, people's lives. And, and Mark is a great person to talk about. And the other person is Mike Ferris, and Mike is really the genius behind this idea. He and Mark Levin and a few other folks came together 
conservative legal scholars and came up with this idea as a way to save the republic. So you're going to have someone with, you know, sort of grassroots political uh, understanding of, of what needs to be done and someone who who's really the founder of this idea and, and from a constitution, great constitutional scholar and argued before the Supreme Court. He's a, he's a brilliant uh, constitutional lawyer. The website is conventionofstates.com, an event taking place here in Wilmington Wednesday night at the Hannah Block USO downtown Wilmington, 6.30 to 8 p.m. There is a Eventbrite link up so that you can reserve your spot so they, they just have an idea of how many people are going to be there. Senator Rick Santorum, our guest this morning. Uh, Senator Santorum, thank you so much for the time. Thanks for the uh, explanation and uh, appreciate all you're doing here in the state of North Carolina. Well, thank you, and I appreciate all your listeners calling your, your in this case, your state senator, and, and please let them know that this is something that our, our country needs and that uh, this, is, this is not a risk. The only risk is not doing something and, and, and putting ourselves into a woke bankruptcy hell. Absolutely. Thank you so much, sir. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Former Senator Rick Santorum giving us the 411 rundown on Convention of States. Conventionofstates.com is the website. If you have a new car, then chances are you have an HD radio. Experience WAAV now on HD2 and high-definition audio at 102.7 FM HD2. Forty-five degrees out at the Wilmington International Airport. Welcome back to the program. 910-763-4000 is our phone number. You can text or call, be part of the program this morning. We're continuing to follow details on what was a uh, pretty hectic scene Thursday night over at the airport when a man not only drove his car through a fenced-in area to drive out onto the tarmac, that's where all the planes are kind of docked and, and you board the planes, not only did he do that, he then decided to turn his sights on the airport itself and actually drove his car through the front entrance of the Wilmington International Airport. It was our big breaking news story on Friday morning, and we're now learning a little bit more about this individual. His name is Trey Anthony Dvorak, and he was arrested in relation to the incident and is facing a, new, a plethora of charges, including assault with a deadly weapon on a government official. I do believe that's in response to a TSA agent that was injured and was transported to the hospital after the crash. That individual reportedly in stable condition, however. The other charges include speeding to elude arrest, trespassing on an airport property, which I thought may have been a felony, maybe not, uh, disorderly conduct, and resist obstruct delay of a government official. The most bizarre news with this all coming out was a comment from the New Hanover County Sheriff's Office that reads in part, and this is a direct quote, I'm not a doctor, so I can't tell you what his issues are, but he was telling us that the devil made him do it, and he was just talking out of his mind. The devil made him do it. <laughs> that, I mean... Obviously, you have to be either crazy or high or drunk on something to drive your car through the front of the airport anyway. But to hear him call out Lucifer himself as, <laughs> as the reason that he drove his car through the front of the airport is just bizarre to me. He made his uh, first court appearance Friday morning where a judge increased his bond from fifty to $75,000. During that hearing, it was noted that this uh, same individual was out on pretrial release for a completely separate offense 
and that a woman was barely able to get her three-year-old child out of the way, and they were almost hit by the car. And I thought that this was pretty interesting. I thought this was pretty interesting. Why does he... $75,000 seems relatively low bail for an individual who was on pre-trial release for something else. We don't know what that is, but obviously something where you're going to trial. He's claiming that the devil is causing him to act in this manner. The devil caused him to drive through the fence and drive into the tarmac and then smash his car through the front window of the airport. I mean, if somebody in this guy's family is able to scrap up a couple of grand and go to a bails bondman and get him out. So it's just interesting to see that the bond is set that low. For somebody that is, I mean, I, again, I don't know this individual, but from everything that we've heard and his actions over the last couple of days, seemed like it could be a real risk to society, no? I'm not trying to fear monger this morning, but that was my first impression you know, doing some, some show prep yesterday was, you know, God forbid this guy's able to bail out. I mean, what's going to stop him from going out and killing somebody and saying, oh, it was uh, you know, Satan that made me do this? Totally justifiable or whatever. I just thought it was kind of bizarre. His uh, next court date is set for March the 30th. As um, work goes on there, the airport director, Jeff Burke, released a statement saying, I want to thank the New Hanover County Sheriff's Office and other law enforcement agencies, airport staff, and our airport partners that acted quickly and effectively last night. I am very proud of our team, and I also want to thank Monolith Construction, who responded quickly overnight to make temporary repairs to the fence line and the front of the terminal so that ILM could presume normal operations. So the airport was open on Friday, running uh, totally on schedule, and it is running uh, totally on schedule this morning as well, outside of any issues caused from the airport itself. Quick break, more Wilmington's Morning News coming. Named one of the best personal finance podcasts, The Stacking Benjamin Show with Joe and his friends makes financial literacy fun. I got an email today from the LenPenzo.com HR department. I find oh. really interesting. I'm an employee of one at this company, so but somebody from the HR department sent me an email telling me that I had a raise. If I just opened the attachment, I could see how much my raise was. Make sure you click on the links that are in there, too. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, I can't wait. This is I'm excited. Find out more by searching the Stacking Benjamins podcast wherever you listen. This is Wilmington's Morning News with Nick Craig. I feel more informed when I listen. 107.9 and 980 The Wave. Thirty-six. Welcome back to Wilmington's Morning News. The uh, current administration is so incompetent that the 8 o'clock press conference that they set earlier this morning has already been pushed to 9 o'clock. This as the president uh, looks to speak ahead of the stock market opening here in the United States. So uh, unfortunately, we won't get any of his uh, comments here live. And uh, Bruce is texting in from Wilmington this morning saying uh, he's glad that Biden isn't interfering with the program. So we'll have to uh, comment on whatever the president has to say tomorrow. As we're looking at a pretty volatile situation today, markets opening in less than an hour this morning surrounding the uh, you know, disaster that unfolded with Silicon Valley Bank. And many of the questions this morning surround, is there going to be another 
or is there going to be more runs on other smaller financial institutions that are likely in the same place? And now the debate ongoing as well this morning, whether these these buyouts, which is essentially what's going to happen here, are justified. Now, it's important to note that it is not taxpayer-funded money that is going to back the depositors at, at Silicon Valley Bank, but it does bring up an interesting point. The FDIC, they have a policy. They have a rule in place for, for me and you and everybody else. The Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, they back up to $250,000. That's the policy. That's what they say. That's what the banks pay for. That's part of the insurance that they pay into as a financial institution for $250,000. Yet, now we have a bank that has collapsed, the 17th largest bank in the country, the second biggest collapse of a bank ever in the United States. And now the FDIC is bailing all of, is, is, is backing all of the depositors. Now, I'm not frustrated with the fact that the depositors are getting backed. I'm frustrated with the fact that we have a policy. I know it, you know it, all of these other institutions knew it. And when it push comes to shove, we just, what do we do? We just kind of throw up our hands and go, well, I know we said we would do this, but now we're going to do something completely different. Why doesn't the FDIC just change their policy to back 100% of the deposits. I mean, that's, a, that's equivalent. That's essentially what they're doing here. Nobody, seemingly nobody is going to lose out on anything in terms of the depositors. And yes, those depositors losing out on uh, funds, could that be a real problem? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm not going to sit here and negate that. There are real risks associated. There's payroll companies and others that had large sums of money in SV, uh, SVB. But does it make sense for the Treasury Department to do this using the deposit insurance fund, which apparently has like $100 billion in it right now, to use that to, to, to back all these? I, I don't know. I'm asking. It just it seems to me to be a set of, well, we have this procedure in place, but we're just not going to follow it now because, I don't know, maybe they believe the stakes are too big. That's a, I mean, that's a valid excuse. It, and, and I think that's probably what, what we're talking about is that the Treasury Department understands and realizes that if this is not handled in a meaningful manner, it could have some ripple effects on the greater economy. And if you're looking at cutting your losses and trying to stop a serious economic collapse, I might argue that it's worth doing. I, again, I think we're, we're all over the place with it. We don't really know. That's why it's such a tough situation. 910-763-4000 is our phone number. If you want to call or text into the program this morning, let's on head back to our phone lines. Caller, you're on the air. Good morning. Go ahead. Good morning. Yeah, you make a good point that why, do, why don't they just raise the limit for certain banks if, you're, if you've got giant deposits uh, uh, such that, it, you know, that you have billions of dollars at stake, why not just raise the limit and not, and not keep it at 250000 But mm. the, the one thing that crossed my mind when all this stuff was happening is you know, if I'm driving my work truck down the street, I'm, I'm required to have a certain amount of insurance to cover whatever I hit, okay? Yep. But if somebody decides that they want to buy a, you know, a one-of-a-kind, a you know, I could say Lamborghini, but a one-of-a-kind 1931, you know, you know, Bearcat, you know, 
worth a half a billion dollars, you know, and and they decide to drive it on the road. It's up to them to get underinsured motorist insurance because mm. if somebody with a beat up old car, you know, some granny in a Buick or my work truck, you know, I've got fifty thousand or a hundred thousand dollars worth of insurance, maybe even two hundred thousand dollars worth of insurance. You know, I can't afford a billion dollars worth of insurance, <laughs> and nobody can. Yeah, but you're the guy driving the Bucati, or you're the guy driving the Lamborghini. You know, you you're the one responsible for making up for that difference if you want to drive a priceless piece of equipment down the street. Now, the banking thing is almost, you know, and similarly, if you're the one that wants to not have to spread your money around, if, you, if they cover only $250,000, then it's up to you as, as, a, as a depositor to spread your money around in the different banks so that it's always covered by the insurance, right? It's not up to the rest of us to have to pay extreme insurance rates because they bailed you out because you didn't want to spread your money out. And I think that's where I find yep. myself struggling this morning is everybody knew of this limit. I, I was well aware of this limit. Yeah. Like any, anybody that has that has a bank account has seen the FDIC logo and knows what that stands for. These companies absolutely knew what the risks were having the money in the bank. The reality is banks don't traditionally go away. That's just not a thing that happens well, in our the, society very often. But that risk is there, the and that's where my concern lesson. is this morning, is everybody knows the risk, yet we're just going, well, you know, not not this time, I guess. What about what about the next time when it's a – I saw a point on CNBC this morning. You know, it was asked by one of the panelists – if we were talking about a Midwest bank that had a bunch of depositors that were farmers, would we be having the same reaction or are we reacting this way because a lot of the money in, in SVB was high-tech companies with big donors right. that donate to political parties? I think that's a valid question that to ask. A, that has a big that has, plays a big part in it. But, you know, it's, it's the, the failure, this is a very important thing. The failure teaches a lesson. I mean, and, and it, it also makes me think of, you know, look at look at the socialism of California. If they go bankrupt because they're giving out a bunch of social programs to a bunch of illegal aliens and such, should America bail them out? Because, you know, I but I disagree with you. I disagree with you, though. Everyone, we need to show everyone that that, that that policy is a failure. And the only way to show them is to let them fail when their policy fails instead of constantly bailing them out in order to rescue them from their failed policy. But see, that's the problem. This isn't, this isn't, nobody's going to learn from this because it's not, it's not going to happen, right? This, the, the federal, the, right. the treasury has already said that they're going to back up all of the depositors for SVB and Signature Bank. That's so there right. is, there is no lesson that's learned. Right. And if I'm, they're you know, not allowing if, them to fail. If I'm a company and I've got $5 million in liquid sitting in a bank account, while I might be worried about it, the reality is when this, ha inevitably, when this happens again, the here comes you know big big treasury once again here comes Janet Yellen to 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 CYA and that's that's kind of what you're dealing with and that's I think where where I'm struggling so much this morning you make some great points appreciate the call at nine one zero seven six three four thousand I don't want companies to go bankrupt I don't want individuals to not get their payroll I, I believe me folks that is not what I'm advocating for at all but if we have a set of procedures and policies that we follow why are we breaking that now and is this the trend going forward to me now the example has been set by the fed or by the uh, by the treasury department anytime a bank the 
this is how I'm reading into it. Anytime a bank fails, which is not a common occurrence, but knowing the situation that led up to the failure of Silicon Valley Bank, which was them, them themselves, the bank, taking too many risks, putting too much of other people's monies into long-term investments, when that inevitably happens again, which it will, is the deposit insurance fund going to bail them out? I can only assume the answer is yes, because this is the standard that has been set. And that is where I struggled this morning. Now, for a lot of individuals, small businesses with, you know, 20, 30, 50 employees, whatever it might be, it's a huge sigh of relief. And I'm sure, can you imagine? Can you imagine having, it being a small business and having three or $4 million in the bank, which by the way is a small business, with, you know, if you have 10 or 15, 20 employees, I mean, you've got to have hundreds of thousands of dollars in the bank for payroll every, every two weeks, every month, whatever it is. But you've got that money in the bank. You wake up and it's gone. I mean, can you imagine? No, you didn't put it in a, you didn't invest it in Bitcoin or something that where the value's uh, fluctuating. You, you, you put it in a bank. You, you maybe went down to a branch, shook the bank manager's hand and said, hey, we're going to use you guys for all of our money. But that's, that's crazy. That's absolutely crazy. So that's where the, the battle is this morning, and I, I, don't, I don't know if I have an opinion one way or the other. I see both sides of it. I see the side of, well, we have to let this go through so that we can learn from it, and, and this is the policy. But then on the other side, is that worth a potential banking collapse, which is presumably what could happen in like 45 minutes? If the Fed had not, and it still could happen, we don't know. We have no idea what's going to happen in 45 minutes. Your guess is as good as mine. But you have a bank, or banks, regional banks, that have a huge run on them this morning. And you have all these small regional banks that start getting seized up by the uh, by FDIC. I mean, that's just a mess. We'll continue with your phone calls and text messages coming up right after this. Final look at your Wednesday, excuse me, final look at your Monday weather. 45 degrees outside in Wilmington right now. Temperatures today will get into the lower 60s. Why is Wednesday on the mind? Well, it's because a freeze watch is in effect from late Tuesday night through early Wednesday morning, according to the National Weather Service here in Wilmington. Sub-freezing temperatures as low as 32 degrees at the coast with temperatures in around 30 degrees farther inland. That would be as you head more west uh, here across southeastern North Carolina. They note late Tuesday night through Wednesday morning that frost and freeze conditions could kill crops and other sensitive vegetation and possibly damage unprotected outdoor plumbing. So be advised of that if you uh, started your growing season early. Wouldn't fault you. It was absolutely beautiful here in the month of February, and it's not been thus far a bad March yet, but those temperatures 
not tonight, but tomorrow night into Wednesday morning, uh, very much in those freezing conditions. We'll wait and see if the freeze warning gets uh, put out for that here as well. All right, taking a look at some other news across the area this morning. A man found guilty in the 2020 murder of a UNCW student. A man charged in the murder of Chris Stewart has been found guilty. On Friday, a Pender County jury, a jury of his peers, found Raymond Lee Brooks Jr. guilty of first-degree murder, robbery with a dangerous weapon, and conspiracy to commit armed robbery. According to District Attorney Ben David, he says, quote, this is the only appropriate verdict, and we thank the jury for its service. Mr. Brooks should never, should never be released from prison for his heinous crimes. At the time, Chris Stewart was just 23 years old. He was a junior at UNCW, an Army veteran, and was brutally and was found brutally murdered at Miller's Pond Park up in Pender County. That happening in late March of 2020, about three years ago. Details from the arrest warrant indicate that a three-foot metal pole was used to rob Stewart of his money, a cell phone, and car keys. There are two other suspects that are in custody as of right now: Mayasha Morgan or Morange, excuse me, and Brandon Chambers. According to the district attorney, Morange testified in Brooks's trial and is currently in a Pender County jail, while Brandon Chambers is being housed in New Hanover County and still faces a capital murder trial. You can imagine some of the details with that. The victim's parents, the parents of Chris Stewart, releasing a statement after this verdict coming down saying, quote, we are grateful that justice is being served for the brutal murder of our son. We said knowing he can, uh, we, with that said, knowing that he can never do this to another family again gives us some peace. We are very appreciative of all that were involved in this case. We are appreciative of the community's ongoing support over the past three years. And a special thank you to his fraternity brothers at UNCW, the Pikes fraternity, who have been, who've remained by our side throughout this tragedy. Those are coming in from the parents of Chris Stewart, the man who was brutally murdered back in early 2020. And in some other incredibly sad news across the Cape Fear region this morning, Laney High School is mourning the loss of a student athlete and a friend of many. 18-year-old Darnell McLeod died after a long, bat, uh, long battle with cancer on Friday. According to a detail from, uh, according to a press release, I should say, from Laney High School, DJ, that was his nickname, was such a fighter, and we will forever admire his strength and positivity. He has had such an impact on our, Buckton, our Bucktown family and the entire community. Counselors and social workers will be available Monday in the media center to attend to any staff or students that need support. Please reach out to your child's counselors if you would like a member of the team to meet with your child. There is a fundraiser that is slated for next weekend, the 25th of March. It will take place at Laney High School. The event has a, excuse me, at the uh, at the Laney High School uh, track and field area. It's going to take place from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. It's $10 to get into it, and 100% of the proceeds will go towards the family of um, DJ McLeod in the in to pay for 
various expenses as he battled cancer and now dealing with his funeral and the costs associated with that. 10 to 2, next Saturday, March the 25th. Pizza, sandwiches, snacks, and drinks will be available as well. We'll put some more details up on our website, or excuse me, our social media handles at 107.9 and 980 The Wave on Twitter and Facebook. Taking a look at some other news across the area this morning, the New Hanover County Board of Education is accepting applications for a new vacant CFCC Board of Trustees seat. We covered in great detail last week Ray Funderburk, who was relieved from his position after he was voted out by his peers on the CFCC Board of Trustees. He was serving at the behest of the New Hanover County Board of Education. He was appointed under the previous Board of Education, which, as you are well aware, was, was controlled by Democrats. It is now a very different scene on that board. So now the new Hanover County Board of Education is accepting letters of interest and resumes for two of the four positions appointed by the board, uh, by the board to serve on the CFCC Board of Trustees. The first vacated seat belonged to Ray Funderburk, who was voted to be removed by the board on March the 8th, and will that term runs until June the 30th of 2026. The candidate appointed will serve the remainder of the seat's four-year term and should submit a letter of interest by Friday, March the 31st. The second vacancy will serve a complete four-year term beginning July the 1st of this year and ending June the 30th of 2027. Those applicants should be in by April the 17th. Any applicants must specify which seat they are interested in filling and can apply for both seats. Letters of interest and resumes should be submitted to the New Hanover County Board of Education at 6410 Carolina Beach Road. Candidates should include the reasons as to why they aspire to be in this position and uh, why they are qualified to do so. So two appointments coming up here for the uh, Board of Education over the next couple of months. Well, that's going to do it on a jam-packed Monday edition of Wilmington's Morning News. Coming up tomorrow morning, we'll chat with our Senator Ted Budd. We'll also take a look at President Joe Biden's statements and have recaps on what is expected to be a rocky day across financial markets here in the United States. That'll be all coming up Tuesday from 6 to 9 a.m. right here on 107.9 and 980 The Wave. Have a great Monday. From the Don Bullard Insurance Studio, W. Afford Anything is a podcast that teaches you how to be smart with your money. As a small business, you don't have the resources to pay the level of overhead and for the level of services that a Fortune 500 company could afford. So I certainly understand why, if you want to offer benefits, the providers of that, that that fee is going to be higher because there's more account management per employee. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen.